Welcome to the UCC Show. Our email address is uccinfo at ingrammicro.com and follow us on Twitter at ingrammicroinc. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's UCC Show. This is Simon Dudley, your moderator, narrator, host and whatever else. Uh, chief wrangler, I suppose, of these things. Um, today, I've got Mark Roberts, the CMO of Shortel. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hey, Simon. How are you? I'm good, sir. I'm good. It's good to see you. Uh, we do have, I should let the audience know already, some history here. All good, I think. Uh, he agreed to be on the show, so it must be pretty good. Our history goes back about 16, 17 years, I think, as long as that. That's so, all right, yeah. We'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, just for the rest of the audience, uh, Mark is another Englishman. Um, there are everywhere. Um, but you are now in the US. You're in California somewhere, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. Uh, Bay Area. Uh, I've been here for a period of time. Actually, interestingly, going back and forth either coast, uh, sometime in Atlanta, and uh, most of the rest of the time around the Bay Area. Well, that's fair enough. Well, look, welcome to the show, um, and thanks for getting involved. So, Mark, you're the CMO of Shortel. Um, CMO, in my experience, and I've worked for a few, covers a multitude of opportunity stroke sins. So do you want to start by telling us what you do and, and a bit about your background? I mean, how did you get where you are today? Yeah, I, I, and you're right. There are many different kinds of CMOs out there. Um, my background and how I got here came up predominantly through the product marketing, product management, sales, uh, marketing alignment. And so that kind of puts me in that category of the, the type of CMO that is really all about demand generation and uh, driving revenue tightly aligned with sales, rather than necessarily being the uh, heavily focused on brand uh, rebranding kind of approach. Uh, CMO, essentially, main job is looking after the brand. It's all of the messages and those emotive responses that you have when you think about a uh, a certain company and how it behaves and how you would like it to behave towards you. It's really defining what that is, uh, what those interactions are, essentially the customer experience. Now, it's interesting. You're in an interesting market that's doing all sorts of interesting things right now. But you have a history where we knew each other was, um, was Polycom back in what, the year 2000 or so. So you work for another company. Do you want to explain how you got from where you were 15 years ago to where you are today? Yeah. At the time, I was working with Cord Networks, was the company, if you recall back, we did a, uh, a switch in bridge, essentially, when the whole world was talking about H320, ISDN, really dating myself now. And that shift over to IP323 and the, the fact that that was even a conversation back then just feels so bizarre right now. That entire debate of uh, which kind of endpoint are you on, uh, it's just so alien to today's world when those barriers have just disappeared. But my start there was really uh, looking at uh, product management, product marketing, how you're actually positioning that and demystifying some of that, that technology behind how one of those things worked. And I, I found it was, it was in telling that story and, and getting involved and engaged and creating and managing and delivering the story was really where my passion lay, which took me rapidly into more and more product marketing, then corporate marketing, partner marketing, uh, CMO, actually a couple of times as CMO. Okay. And how long have you been at Shortel now? This is two and a half years now. 
Oh, okay, cool. It's interesting. Most of my other guests have all been at their companies about uh, four or five months for some odd reason. So they, uh, I don't know why. It just seems to be the cycle that we're on at the moment. Well, I guess you took your time to get around to me. I've been sat here waiting for at least two years, which would have left us with a six-month timeline. Well, there you go. Well, that was nice. I mean, two years ago, I didn't even know I was doing this gig. So, uh, yeah, I would have had to have been very prescient to have done it at that point. <laughs> That's cool. So um, one of the things I've noticed, right, you know, you and I both – been in um, in this UC space since Noah was a boy, really. And one of the things that's always amused me about the UC space is that it's defined as whatever the vendor that's trying to sell you something is selling. You know, if Cisco's selling a thing or if some other company's selling a thing, it's what they've got. Uh, the analogy I use, and in fact, I'm giving a presentation in a few weeks at Infocom, um, is about this way that it's the blind monks, I don't know why they're always monks, but blind monks touching the elephant. And they all describe the elephant as the bit they've got. And, you know, you've got a trunk and I've got a leg and someone else has got something else. And they're all describing what they have. So on the grounds that there must be two parts to this, there must be what Shortell describes as you see. And, and maybe that's completely in line with what Mark Roberts describes as you see. But let's pretend that We'll start with the idea that they're not. So what do you define UC as, as a short tell, for example? Well, you know, I, I think the cool thing about having a loose definition as UC is that you can loosely define it to whichever market that you want to describe your selling products into. Um, not really the point, though. And you, you kind of got to look at this, for me, from the opposite end. So you've got a lot of manufacturers trying to describe what they're actually selling and, and what they're doing very few of them are describing why that's wonderful for me as an end user or as a customer. And all too often, that you hear these terms, you see new product introductions, have great more pixels, better quality audio, very, very little uh, description of an impact of what that means to uh, a potential, somebody who's actually going to use this day in, day out, or even a customer, uh, such as the IT group, how they're going to deploy it and make it simpler. So we tend to ensure the the UC description in general, I mean, it's there, it's an industry thing, but we talk about uh, use cases and uh, workflows and how it gets integrated into and used and the stories that flow out the back end of that. And probably the one I like most, and CEO Don tells this on a regular basis because he travels a huge amount. He's always running through an airport. And prior to being at Shortel, He'd tell a story about having napkins and bits of paper with uh, conference uh, dial-in numbers and passcodes on them, etc. But the introduction of just a simple join button that you hit that takes care of all of that behind the scenes, as far as he was concerned, that was UC. And as far as I'm concerned, if he's a user and he's happy with that approach with it, that's a wonderful example of unified communications. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say this because in my experience, I mean, I've been using telephony for well, in business for 30 years, and there's no more features that I use on a UC platform than I used on a TDM platform 20 years ago because I didn't use 99% of the features anyway. Um, now, the market's changed, but I agree with you that things like uh, press the button to, to initiate the call or to join a call seems to be a lot more powerful than all these esoteric stuff that companies come up with because we can do it and they can't, and we can stick it on an RFP. Um, you know, so that we can go, oh, well, we do this, and, but nobody else does it. But does anyone want it? Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting question. H how do you decide what to put into a product, by the way? 
It, it's always a good idea to ask a customer, but before I had there, the uh, you know, this concept of uh, those three little words, the RFP, I think uh, uh, so customers can be as guilty as the manufacturer is of um, having the conversation in a context that makes no sense whatsoever. And so the, the RFP is quite often, we found, depending on who's been involved in the early initial discussions, tends to be based around a data sheet anyway. Well, if you ask for an RFP based around a data sheet, congratulations, you're going to get responses and vendors that are going to come back at you talking around their data sheets. Um, you want to avoid that. Uh, take a different approach. Take a broader approach. And so I'm going back to it's the use cases. It's that workflow. It's what are you actually trying to get done rather than actually trying to compare a set of features of one company versus another. Now, normally you have this debate when you are you have a paucity of features or uh, you're trying to distinguish or differentiate yourself, but that's driven by a sales process. Not necessarily, again, what the customer wanted. And so I, I always get the sense and that feeling that when you're in that RFP conversation, it's not necessarily the customer that's driving the debate. It was, it was a sales and a very clever and capable sales individual. But normally that, that's where that driving factor came from. You mention the customer again. Yeah, it's interesting. I would agree with that. There's also the angle that an awful lot of consultants will will get themselves involved and they will make the situation as complicated as they can because they have to justify their income. I mean, you know, you're not going to turn around as a consultant and say to a client, oh, it's easy, you should just buy that one or that one. Um, either's fine, pick the cheapest. It, they're not going to, you know, that, that doesn't justify the cost of the consultancy. They need to come in and tell you about all the features that you'll probably never use. Well, that is certainly one perspective. Another may be that they're brought in to uh, demystify the, uh, the the entire process of this uh, feature stare and compare aspect. And we, we work with that community a lot. And I, I think you've, um, you know, like any large groups, you've got opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, generally speaking, they often find themselves as frustrated as, as we are with the entire, uh, that approach to the RSP, RFP and the, the checkbox items. Man, it can be frustrating. Mm. Now, uh, Shortel, I have a sense, and I, it could well be wrong, as to the as the demographic, the market that you're after. And I'm sure, you know, as a good CMO, you'd say, well, we can do anything from five users to 10 million users, but there must be a sweet spot for you, um, and uh, either size-wise or vertical-wise. Uh, would you agree? And if so, where do you fit? The reason I ask is because a lot of our audience will be a reseller community who's, you know, potentially interested in getting involved in UC or should be, hint heavily, you should be involved in UC, that the world has changed. So so where do you guys fit into that? We went on a, an interesting journey with this. And you're absolutely right, got it clearly defined. And um, where we landed <clears throat> was it's in the small to medium, and we define medium as being 5,000 or less. Now, the reason for doing this, Simon, wasn't necessarily because we couldn't deal with anything larger than 5,000. It's because we were getting those deals and opportunities that were coming in that were 50,000. And again, back to the point you were making earlier, there was one esoteric feature that you had to have because of an RFP that was in there. And you end up standing your RD uh, organization and the roadmap on its head just to go chasing after this one large opportunity. So um, this was an interesting journey. I said, look, we're... Um, in full agreement with the executive team as well, uh, as led by Don, the, uh, why don't we do 5,000 and less? And 5,000 and less really means if you've got a 10,000 uh, end user opportunity that looks like a 5,000, 
bring it on. That's totally fine. But if you've got a 10,000 that is going to require the roadmap fundamentally being redesigned when we've got all of these customers anyway that are with us on this journey based around us, you know, an already agreed to roadmap, it's not right. It's not fair. And so we, we took that look. It's the mid-market, um, 5,000 and less, although it's an arbitrary number. We have people uh, or companies we work with uh, on a regular basis that are in excess of 10, 15,000. It's not a physical limit. It was more a philosophy, uh, sure. an approach, channel partners, and in particular, in working through with uh, Ingram and the, the broad spread of channel partners that they got there. That sweet spot where the majority of the opportunity was, it's right there. It, you know, it's interesting. As you know, I'm a, I'm a video man, not a, not a, um, a UC man, although video is part of UC these days, I suppose, depending on which part of the elephant you're holding. Um, and it always seemed to me a very strange story that I would talk to my management of numerous companies I've worked with and for that I say, ignore the global 500, right? They are already looked after by some enormous organization and remain nameless for the purposes of this conversation, but everyone can imagine who they are. And, and they go, oh, but we don't want to sell to SMBs. The cost of deals is too big. It's like, no, 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 there's that mid-market, what The Economist calls the fat middle. The U.S. has 195,000 of these businesses, and they're businesses between $100 million revenue and a $1 billion revenue. And that sounds to me like the market that you're going for. And it's strange how so many people seem to miss it. They either go Global 500 or Bob's Corner Store. I don't understand why they miss that bit. Yeah, no, and I think with the the rapid transition over to cloud, we're also starting to see uh, those those borders are, are blurring as well as to what's a mid-market, what's small. Um, historically, what we would have considered very small, and you've got some fairly large organizations dealing with some very, very small companies these days, which to me is a great thing. It gives a much broader spread of uh, <clears throat> uh, interaction with a customer base, which drives creativity. It, it, uh, to me, it's a positive aspect. Now, you bring up cloud, right? Um, a lot of my work... Uh, is around helping organizations, resellers particularly, and, and distribution move from a, a boxes-based business model to a cloud-based business model. And it's terrifying and hard and it's vital because if you don't manage to do it, the long-term world is not going to be your friend. Now, Shorto, I know, but I don't know any detail, so maybe you can fill us in here, has been at the vanguard of moving this the UC industry from a from a boxes-based business model to a cloud one. I know you do both, but can you give us some indications to how that's gone, where you are on that journey, you know, and where that's going to end up? I, I think the most important aspect is it, it is a journey, and uh, markets can be fickle. They can change. However, when you're looking at it today, the majority of the growth is in cloud. And as you look at UCAS, you're dealing with Depends which set of analysts you want to uh, buy into or believe, but it's anything from like the low 20s to the mid 30s in terms of Kager. Um, <clears throat> to me, the point isn't whether it's that low 20s or mid 30s. The point is it's large. And there is significant growth there to be had. And, and conversely, when you look at the product side of the house, uh, however you define that for yourself, it's largely flat. And some people are even predicting a a slight decline in what's going on in terms of product. So we kind of looked at that as short-tail, and, and the market typically wants to define you as either you're a cloud company or you're a product company. <clears throat> and never the twain shall meet. 
I think the um, I think the reality is again, there's no mention of a customer in there at all, and a lot of these guys are busy trying to figure out how they move from a premise-based solution over to a cloud-based solution, ideally without disrupting all of their their customers, their end users, the people like you and I that are using this day in day out. And so we kind of took that approach of look, it's it should just be one solution, one customer experience. We'll ship it in one or two ways, either cloud or prem. And then as a, a customer or a channel partner, you can deploy it in one of three, either cloud, prem, or a mix and match of the two, hybrid. And by the way, get your applications from the cloud. It's easier. Now, that's interesting. Are you finding that clients are, are starting with a boxes-based solution, you know, one that they've had for a while, and then they're going to uh, a hybrid model, and then they're going to cloud? Or are you finding that uh, they go to straight to cloud? It sounds not from what you just said, but perhaps they are. And or are you finding most new clients are going directly to cloud? I mean, where, where's, kind of, where's the dynamic for existing clients and where's the dynamic for new ones? I, I think first off, there's, um, it's somewhat of an obvious statement, but it, it needs to be said and realized is that there aren't any new 500 people companies. So they're coming off something, and they had a solution that was in place that they're migrating away from. But frankly, some of those are also short-tail customers today. And they're looking at, they've owned and operated this for a period of time, but they're looking to move to the cloud for all the reasons uh, that you, you hear in the media at their flexibility and scalability, et cetera, et cetera. And they don't necessarily want to be in the business of running a communication solution. Um, so for those, it's it's a much easier, look, upgrade your software to have current version as connector, a quick product pitch here. But you upgrade to that, and the ability to then move users over to connect on the cloud is real simple, because for them, the experience doesn't change. And it almost takes me back to the start of this session where we were talking about H320 for the video standards of 323. And you had to know whether you were on H320 or 323. What a ridiculous conversation. Fast forward to today, it seems to be a ridiculous conversation to know whether you're on cloud and got access to a certain set of features or the you're on prem and you've got access. It just makes no sense. It should be the same experience. Having that allows the IT guys to move as and when they wish. So um, Leonardo da Vinci said, um, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. He said it as a tweet just last week on the internet. I have no idea if he really ever said that, but it's possible. Somebody once said that. He's still tweeting? It, maybe, as is Lincoln. Um, but anyway, President Lincoln said that just the other day on the internet. So question for you. Is the reseller type changing as you're moving from the from a, I don't want to say traditional, but the a box-based solution, right? Because for many clients, a box-based solution is still the right answer. But to a, and then the ones who are to cloud solutions. Are you finding it's a different type of reseller? Is there a new opportunity there for a different type of person to get involved in this? Or do you still need to be steeped in the technology? Yeah, I, I'd say it's not necessarily a new type of reseller, but there's certainly a lot of learning that needs to take place. And some are more predisposed to embrace that than others. Um, when I look at the successes that, that we've had, it's been largely a focus on the channel community, and it was our existing channel um, with some additions, but it was that focus on our existing channel structure that I think really has made a big difference for us. And when I look at the cloud side of the business, and a large percentage, it's over 90% of the opportunities that we have now come directly from our channel community. 
It's not getting left behind where they choose to be not left behind. And the amount that all of the manufacturers, uh, ourselves included, uh, are putting into that education and that transition, I think is starting to yield returns. Uh, but a, a few people, they gave up on that channel community way too early in my mind. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I'm writing a, a different piece at the moment about disintermediation. And there's so many resellers out there um, who seem to believe, I don't know what percentage, but maybe a, a significant subset of resellers who seem to think, oh, well, in a cloud world, the, res- the manufacturers will simply sell to all the clients direct and cut me and distribution out of the story completely. And I look at these people and go, y- you are mad, aren't you? And, uh, and you try and explain to them, no, no, you need distribution to pat together all these different bits and pieces from manufacturers. You, you need um, the reseller to be able to find numerous clients and then stitch all of them together into single solutions. And you need to be able to talk to all these new types of clients who are the business people within, the, within those businesses, not just the IT department. And they all go, oh, oh yeah, you're right. And I'm like, and you hadn't seen this? And apparently they hadn't. So what's your thought on this manufacturer selling direct business model versus, you know, selling through channels? It's some people, there seems to be a, a disconnect there in the market that there hasn't been previously. You know, it is an interesting take and the fundamentals have not changed. In, and <clears throat> as you look at that, it's a highly leveraged activity if you're going to engage through channel community, through distribution like Ingram and their massive network of channel partners that are, are developed there. Um, for a manufacturer to be able to get to all of that requires huge resources. There's a reason that we've continued to go through channel over the years. Now, you fast forward a little bit, okay, um, cloud changes that. Well, yes and no. And you, the opportunity to get involved and be more central to a potential customer's ongoing activities, is, I would say, has increased. And it's increased because of the flexibility that cloud solutions offer. An example, um, if you look at SFDC, now admittedly, that's all sold direct. However, there's a huge channel community out there that is earning uh, great, uh, you know, great profits. They've got great engagement with the customer base. They're still owning those customer base, but it's around the customization and the integration and how that actually works in your day-in, day-out environment that is the more important aspect, and I'd argue the same is uh, true with this industry. And back to your point, that, that's really the part that a lot of these guys are missing because they're looking at the profit margin based on a piece of equipment uh, exchanging hands. Yes, yes. It's not that simple anymore. It, it, it isn't. Uh, I, I'm uh, doing a whole bunch of research for different things. Infocom is coming up, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, I looked recently. Your average IT salesperson has a life expectancy of a, uh, at a reseller of 22 months. Wow. Now, your average sales manager has a life expectancy of 19 months. Now, how compatible, one could argue, is that in a world in which you're selling, supplying cloud solutions to clients where you're constantly reselling. You know, in the old days, you could sell someone something and then a new rep would come and see the client in five years from now because they'd cycled through a bunch between the original guy and the next guy. Now, because you're constantly reselling, I think that there is a fundamental change in the way that people sell. And in fact, the nearest analogy I could use is insurance salespeople. Insurance salespeople get rich slowly because they work for an organization 
for a very long time and they build up a client base and they use that client base to sell to other people who that client knows. And in fact, in IT, there's even more opportunity there because stitching numerous clients together into a into a supply chain environment is a very powerful thing for a reseller to do. And I think that most resellers or many resellers haven't thought through the opportunity of that. I mean, if you can stitch together you know, numerous customers with numerous technologies, then you're very hard to dislodge because even if a, your competitor comes in and replaces you in one customer or potentially does, they haven't replaced you in all the others who rely on this first customer to work with. And I think there's a real golden era here for the channel and distribution community to solve business problems for people rather than just sell a box and make 20 points or 30 points or whatever the margin was they would make on the box. No, there definitely is. is really hard. Right. There definitely is. I I, I totally agree. And if I bring it back to um, to my profession, marketing, and I think it was, uh, if I butcher these stats, I apologize to whoever did actually publish them, but I think it was IDC that said uh, um, by 2017, more than 40% of the IT budget would be effectively controlled by the CMO because you're buying all of these SaaS packages, et cetera. And I, I've spoke with some of my peers who said, yeah, that's, that's about right. It's, it's a good thing. It gives us flexibility. And I'm thinking, that is a horrific state of affairs. And I'll be somewhat disparaging to myself and not necessarily the rest of my peers and brethren, but we tend to buy shiny things. We, we buy stuff that gives us great reports. It's, we buy niche solutions. We have no idea how these things hang together. And it's that, that SaaS approach to it that makes it so fast, makes it so easy to buy and leave in certain circumstances, which I think is where the value of that, that relationship and that integration conversation, <laughs> let me explain to you why you don't want to do this, and you probably do want to consider this uh, conversation, is still incredibly valid. Yes, I agree. I mean, there's got to be intelligence within the environment, right? And, you know, for the last 10 years, 15, 20 years, it's probably lived in the IT department rather than in the marketing department. And I can say that as a marketeer myself. Um, So we're in the same boat, Mark, I'm afraid. Uh, And now it's moving, the intelligence is moving, or the money at least, is moving to people like the marketing department and others. Um, But then they need to be well informed as to what they're going to invest in and how to make it all work together. The manufacturers can't do it because they're not going to do it all. Any manufacturer who tries to make everything makes everything at mediocre at best level. So if you want a best of breeds technology, you need all the separate bits. You need someone to tuck it all together at the back end, hence Ingram, and then you need someone at the front end to integrate all of that into the client site, hence reseller. And so it, it does amaze me. The video conferencing space is particularly full of companies who are trying to sell or beginning to look like they're trying to sell directly to their end users. And I, I with you, think that's a deranged idea because the client wants more than just an application. They want a business process, and they want to integrate it into everything else. Um, but they don't seem to see it that way. Maybe they just want to make lots of money in the short term, and, uh, and then who knows what happens long term. Well, the basic premise is that whatever you're, you're buying and you're buying direct and it's a, a one-off can stand on its own and, and it's totally fine. And um, I'm not sure that that's always the case. And in particular, where you've got complex set of interactions, it, it ends up more difficult. And when you look at the communications space in particular, 
the analogy is often made to these one-off SaaS solutions, and it's now going to be direct and will be uh, not involved in this conversation at all. But the reality is those tend to be very vertical and specific applications that are aimed at one individual inside the company. I've never heard any version of the CMO is going to buy the communication solution for the entire company. And so just based on that premise, and by the way, that would be a horrific, it would look great, but I don't know how well it would work. <laughs> and we'd be able to communicate externally incredibly well. Nobody would be able to talk internally. And But the, the, the bottom line is that that, you know, that horizontal approach in particular to communications, it puts a very, very different spin on this industry that I think certainly in some of the conversations I've had with channel partners, it's been a little short-sighted as it comes to cloud. It's like, look, the fundamentals didn't change. Yes, I agree. The, just the delivery mechanism. Yes. And, even, and even that is only partly true because you still need stuff. You know, some folks would argue, I need a, a, an app on my computer and a, and a nice headset. Other people would say, I need the four and a half pound box on the desktop. I, I'm kind of torn. I've got all of them personally, but then I, I do work in the industry and I have to try it all. So there's some stuff that will always be delivered to people's desks in one form or another. You can't give people a soft phone and nothing to run it on after all. Um, but, and there'll be other parts of it, which you either rent and it's in your cloud or they rent and they stick in their own basement. It's to a large extent, it perhaps doesn't even matter. I think people get too wrapped around the axle. The, the idea of, where sales fits into that is an open question. I read a fantastic line the other day. It said, salespeople should get paid for making a difference at the point of persuasion, right? The point in which the customer make, makes a decision one way or the other. But on a, with a cloud offering, that could be every year. And that's kind of interesting. Well, I think it's... Um it not could be every year. It is every year. And if you, you, you look at, or every month in some circumstances, uh, in particular, as you look at some of these more vertical cloud-delivered applications, the, there is a lot of solutions out there right now that are growing up around encouraging usage because you bought it on Tuesday and you found it didn't quite do what you thought it did on Wednesday and you wait for the contract to expire. There was nobody to take you through the rest of that conversation to say, you know what, you just clicked in the wrong place or it needed configuring this way. And that, that that absence of the the total approach, the total conversation around the sale, is um, it can be somewhat lacking, and that's what you get with that direct approach every single time because it's in and out. Now, every single month revolves around: look, you've got a sales force that will take care of the initial sale, and then typically you have what are described as account managers that look after you on a customer lifetime basis to ensure that you continue with that usage. So we've almost reinvented the sales force after the sale to continue that uh, approach. And that's it's not untypical in a cloud-based approach. And again, because of the, the ease of signing up and the ease of stop using something, um, it, it's there. It just promotes, if anything, over a period of time, it should promote more engagement and more explanation uh, as it's also easier somewhat to integrate in a, a cloud solution. And yet we're not talking about that. We're talking about uh, well, the product decline is a problem for me. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting world, isn't it? I, I actually think it's a golden era to be in the reseller community. And uh, many, people, agree. M- m- many people have not seen that as an angle. They see it as a, but I can't make as much money on a box as I used to. It's like, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. 
the sticky relationships with multiple clients. That's where all the money is. Right. I, I had an, an interesting conversation with a channel partner that will remain unnamed, and it was over a glass of wine, and we were talking about business models in general. And this is somebody that was heavily focused and constructed a business around uh, essentially shifting product. Um, and he was taking the view of, look, if I was starting up in business again today, I wouldn't do this one. I would do the cloud approach. It's simpler, faster, easier. You've actually got a better connection with your customer and you can spend more time doing that, which is really arguably where the greater value is, ergo more lucrative. Well, and, and there's, of course, the, the very nice cherry on the pie that every community, every reseller I've ever met wants to sell the business at some point, or most do, want to sell the business to somebody else at, at some point in the future. Now, if you sell boxes to people, the company's generally worth how good the CEO is or the owner is. The trouble is they want to leave when they've sold it to somebody else. They don't want to hang around. Hey, I've sold you this. Oh, I still work here. That doesn't... A bit of a paradox, I agree. <laughs> doesn't fit their, their, you know, their worldview. So they want to sell it and then leave. But, of course, they are the value. If you've got tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars worth of renewing contract every year, a new owner can make a very reasonable assumption as to how many of those you'll retain. Whatever your retention rate is, is pretty industry standard. You can make that decision. The company is worth something. It generates money every month, whether anyone's there or not. You could, I was going to say you could have a fax machine, but let's just have an email account, right, in the modern era. And the email account just sits there and receives the renewals. And that makes the company a lot more valuable in the medium to long term. There is no get rich quick in a cloud model, but there is the opportunity to get rich slowly. And I personally believe, and certainly my 30 years experience would indicate, that the get rich quick model in boxes always looked like a potential, but it was always the mirage on the horizon. There was nothing actually there. The, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the longer term approach of a cloud model and selling a cloud based business is a lot simpler to value than it is if you've got a, uh, a product only, i.e., starting at zero revenue apart from the service revenue every single quarter or month, however you, you close your books. Uh, it's fairly straightforward just to take the revenue and map it out and say, okay, how many multiples do you want to stick on that thing? And that's your negotiation point for it. And you've got a value for the company. Boom. The other approach of I am predominantly product and starting each time. I mean, yeah, you, you've got the owner that has uh, effectively they quit and stayed uh, and took a check along the way. And it's that's a much more difficult – it, it's a much more difficult model to actually gain the real benefit out of uh, that you thought you were buying. So, yeah, message is real clear. That, that if it's product only, that's a tough one, even once you've bought it to actually – uh, see the value that you thought was in there. Um, but secondly, if you want to value a cloud company, it's real simple. You probably don't even need a spreadsheet to do it. No, no, you, you can multiply by a number. That's yeah. about it. So, Mark, we've been talking about business models and resellers, and, and let's talk a bit about Shortel. Um, you're doing very well, right, in a, let's put it this way, a dynamic market. I don't want to get into the pros and cons of what's been going on, but it's, it's dynamic. You know, I'm sure that you wake up every morning and go, oh, that's happened, um, which is, makes it much, much more interesting. These are exciting times, yes. These are exciting times, as the old Chinese curse says. Um, what's next for Shortel? Where are you going? I mean, obviously, I'm, we can't, on a public broadcast, do a full roadmap, but what's the direction? Where do you feel that, that you'll be in a few years from now? I, I think... Uh, 
yeah, impossible to get into a full roadmap uh, deep dive, which I wasn't really expecting to to do, and I'm pretty sure that you weren't either. No. But the, the focus um, on the customer, I think we're just starting to get into our stride. And this is where I come back to, <clears throat> I'm going to tie it back into the business models we were discussing before. You're, you're often described as, look, what are you, a prem or a cloud company? And that just seems to be such an odd conversation to be having. So uh, as the future for short term and where we're headed is, I think it comes much, much more about the customer. It becomes much more about the individuals that are actually trying to use solutions, what they're trying to achieve with it, and building solutions that fit that. Ergo, the, look, we don't care if it's cloud or prem, it's the same user experience. And therefore, for the IT group, they've got that flexibility and choice to put people on whichever solution they want, whether it's for technical reasons, financial reasons. Heck, you just feel like doing it that day. Um, shouldn't make any real difference. But it's that, it's that continued on uh, focus on that flexibility and choice and aligning around what the IT group are actually trying to do and actually trying to achieve rather than trying to fit ourselves into a niche of UC, cloud, prem, you know, on-site, however you'd like to describe it. So I feel that we're, we head off in a slightly different direction to the rest of the, um, the UC world as they're busy trying to define themselves on a, uh, a rather esoteric description of what the product is, unified communications, um, that may or may not matter to either the IT group or an end user. I think that's a very good description. Is there any other last points you want to leave us with, Mark, before we let you go? Uh, no, except I think you should clarify uh, our first meeting that we actually had. Uh, oh, our first meeting. Well, I remember you giving a presentation about Accord Bridges while uh, we at Polycom, and I was a Polycom man, had just bought Accord. And then leaving the room and you saying, yeah, well, Codian's probably going to do quite well. And I remember that as an interesting... I mean, this is 15 years ago now, so it's probably irrelevant. But that was a part of the conversation. I can't remember any other. Was there was there alcohol involved? There was one before that in Ramsbury in uh, UK. You stopped by... You were working at a channel partner at the point in time, and I was selling a corporate Oh, No, that's right. And that was about 1997, 98? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, going back away. Wow. That puts us at almost 20 years. That does put us at nearly 20 years. And on that appalling bombshell, I must have, I mean, I must have been about nine when we had that conversation. No, you were, you were 20, 27, 28, I think. Thank you. Yes, yes. Thank you. And for all of those who haven't done the math, I'm now 47. Thank you very much. <laughs> Well, look, Mark, it's been, as always, a pleasure. Uh, thanks for getting involved. Uh, audience, I do hope you found it an enjoyable show and thought-provoking. You know, I think we're in a, a very interesting world in the whole UC space. If you're in the IT world and don't touch it today, you should, because you know what? There's not a single client who doesn't have a telephony solution. Um, and whether you think of that as UC or whether you think of that as just a telephone on their desk, then go and talk to them about it, right? Um, I think Mark and I are in violent agreement that this is a, an interesting world and it's one in, that's in flux. The, the days of the monolithic resellers who only sell a particular niche of technology to a client are probably over and people who are broad suppliers of technology to numerous business divisions within a client and to a group of clients as part of the supply chain is definitely on the offing and I think it's an exciting time. So on that note, Mark, thanks very much for your time. Thank you. And we will see you all again soon. Bye-bye.
email address is uccinfo at ingrammicro.com and follow us on Twitter at Ingram Micro Inc.